Hello again. In a few moments, we'll be hearing from Ian, who will be continuing uh, our journey through Luke uh, and bringing us this week's preach. But first, just a few notices. On Tuesday evening at eight o'clock, which is the 14th of July, uh, we have our monthly prayer meeting on Zoom. Uh, the link will be sent round to, to everybody. Uh, and I'm really excited to say that we'll be hearing from Jeremy and Laura um, as they as they actually join us back in Seven Oaks, although it will still be virtual this week. Uh, and just a reminder that we have our summer series running through August online. Uh, so we will be continuing church uh, on this on this format, uh, but with a but with a series uh, each Sunday uh, as we move through August. If you've got any questions or for any more information, please visit our website. Um, and if you want to uh, look there as well, there is additional pages now to help with giving uh, as we continue to meet outside of our church building. Um, and if you have any information, please contact the office. Uh, and uh, there will be our normal coffee catch up. Uh, if you're a member of the church and you've had the link, we will have that at 11.15 today. Uh, if you're a visitor and you'd like to join us for coffee uh, next week uh, and we can welcome you back again, then please do email the church office uh, and they will be able to send it to you for next week. So uh, really hoping to see you then. Hi there, my name is Chris Doe, just speaking to you from our bar in the garden. Um, I'm just going to give you a very short testimony of what God's been doing. Uh, about 10 years ago, I was very weary as a Christian. I found it hard to receive anything from God and that led to eventually me drifting away from God and from the church. Two years ago, I went on a ski trip with Oak Hall to Switzerland. And what I realised was that actually Christians are really nice people and it made me think I should be going to church. And I surprised my wife Amanda when I got back by saying, um, why don't we go to Hope Church in Seven Oaks? I found the worship time was actually really quite difficult and I was often in tears by, by the end of that. Um, I enjoyed the teaching and eventually I had the confidence to go up the front and start receiving prayer on a fairly regular basis. Uh, I remember Malcolm praying for me many times and it often ended in tears again, um, but I did feel that I was progressing in the right direction. I joined the Freedom in Christ course in September and I really enjoyed that, um, but it was challenging. Um, what I took away from it was that um, God can tell us truth, but that truth can set us free if we choose to believe that, that truth. I felt that I needed to um, really understand about being saved by grace and being justified. And I read Romans 3, 4, 5 and 6 so many times that um, I could almost say it off by heart. But um, I was still struggling a bit to get that truth into my heart. Um, and then similarly with the truth of being adopted, I knew it was important for me but I just couldn't seem to get it into my heart. I sort of thought of myself as having a really small faith, but like a mustard seed. And I came to the conclusion, even though I did have small faith, I just wanted to put all of that little faith, although it was little, put it all in God and his word. And at that point, I just seemed to feel so accepted and that truth of adoption really, really hit me. Um, what really got me though was this Easter, I came across this verse from John chapter 14, I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching and we will come to him and make our home with him. I've never seen that verse before. It's always been there, but I just never noticed it. And it, it just made me really feel that God wanted to come and live in my heart and that the Holy Spirit actually wanted to dwell within me, really close to me, right inside me. And I just did 
found loads of verses just to try and reinforce that. Um, and eventually, um, I just felt that God really um, blessed me right in my heart. It was as if sort of a light came on and everything changed from black and white to colour. I just felt God really softened my heart. Um, yeah, such a blessing. Um, since then, um, I felt God's been really close to me. I've enjoyed fellowship with people in uh, my connect group. Um, enjoyed going to the prayer meeting, uh, and the Bible has just come uh, come alive to me. It's as if God's sort of making words shine in colour, and it just wherever I seem, seem to look, God seems to speak to me. So it's been such such a blessing. Um, so I'm really grateful for God for drawing me back to Him. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Uh, and now we'll pass over to Ian. Hey, welcome everyone. Hope you've enjoyed the worship today if you're watching this live on Sunday. Uh, my name is Ian. I'm one of the elders at Hope Church in Seven Oaks. If you're watching this live from uh, Sunday at 10.30 on the 12th of July, we're going to be having a Zoom catch up after church at 11.15. Um, if you get the church emails, you'd have been sent a link for that. So it'd be good to see you there. Just a, also a bit of information. Um, you may have seen the government guidelines come out recently for places of worship. And after reading through it all, I think I got about halfway through and realized that uh, there is just lots of restrictions there and uh, would have made it very difficult for us and still would have been quite exclusive for some, some people still wishing to shield, etc. cetera. Uh, so for now, we wanna kind of try to remain as ex uh, inclusive as we can and we're going to carry on online and uh, through the summer and then when we get to September probably middle of September we'll look at it again see where we are and we'll keep you updated but today we're going to carry on in our series in Luke we're going to be looking at Luke 13 from verse uh, 10 to 21 the first bit we're going to look at is from verse 10 to 17 and John Barnard is going to read those verses for us. Over to you, John. Luke 13, verses 10 to 17. A woman with a disabled spirit. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, that there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey, from the manger and lead it away to the water. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosened from this bond on the Sabbath day? He said these things, and all his advisories were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Thanks, John. Uh, we pick up the story from last week, and Jesus is in a synagogue and we see Jesus performing a healing for the first time since Luke 11. We've, he's been telling the audience to be aware of the time at hand and since chapter 11 he's called, been calling for them to repent. 
Um, it, there's now a great danger that they will not respond. And as these miracles happen, it kind of shines a light on the urgency for a response. They're trying to recognize the weather that Jesus talked about at the end of chapter 12. Jesus likes to heal on the Sabbath. We've seen it already in chapters 4 and 6 in Luke. And here's another opportunity for people to respond to his great work. But will they? Will the fig tree bear fruit? Herman looked at last week the barren fig tree. And what we see here is whether they really want to respond to God. What we see is the religious leaders are more concerned with their laws and traditions and totally miss God's compassion. So he's teaching on the Sabbath in the synagogue and verse 11 to 12 says, Behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, couldn't fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. Luke doesn't go into detail of the woman's condition, just that she had a disabling spirit. So Jesus goes into battle here on two fronts with religious leaders and Satan. The woman's been suffering for a long time, 18 years she's been bent over. I've done my back in several times actually from working in the construction industry, lifting heavy weights. I used to pick up rolls of lead and put them on my shoulder and carry them up ladders. And I've done my back in quite a few times doing that. I've been out of action for weeks uh, at a time and that was bad enough and it made life pretty impossible. But this lady has been bent over for 18 years. And Jesus' response here is significant in a culture where men shunned women publicly. It shows the extent in which Jesus goes to reach those in need. He says she's free before he lays hands on her. And as he does in verse 13, he says he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the moment he does it, he crosses the cultural gender divide and he sets her free and shows what he's about. This healing has a twofold effect. She was straightened and she was freed, freed from spiritual oppression. Jesus shows here his love and compassion for all. He, he wants to honour and uphold women when they are not honoured and upheld in this society or culture. She comes asking for nothing. She promises nothing. She's not cornered Jesus. She had not forced his hand. He could have finished his lesson and gone home. No one would have even thought about this woman, but he stopped. He called her. He took the initiative and he made an issue of this woman. So Jesus is wanting to make a point here. He's got something to say. He, he wants to make a point about the Sabbath, what it means to keep it holy. He wants to highlight the hypocrisy of the synagogue leaders who water their oxen on the, on the Sabbath, but get a bit miffed about Jesus healing. He has something he wants to say about women and men. He says, you know, you, you don't even mind giving your oxen a drink. But when it comes to this woman, you think, oh, she can wait another day. They, they think that this is something that can be dealt, dealt with by medical people, professionals. But Jesus goes for the jugular. If it, if it was just about the Sabbath or hypocrisy, he would have just called her woman. But he goes further than that. 
It's not all he said. He called her a daughter of Abraham. Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, be loosed from this bond? And these words, daughter of Abraham, are intended to carry a message. A message to the synagogue leaders. And the message goes something like this. On top of all the other reasons about why you should care for a suffering person, more than a thirsty ox is the fact that this woman is a fellow heir of the blessing promised to Abraham. You pride yourselves on calling yourselves and saying we are children of Abraham. Well, she too is a child of Abraham. You hide from warnings of John the Baptist saying we have Abraham as our father. Well, she too has Abraham as her father. And the message of Jesus to the synagogue leaders was a message not only about their Sabbath keeping, not only about their hypocrisy, but also about how men and women ought to relate to each other as fellow heirs of God's promises. He's saying to the men in the synagogue and he's saying to the men in the church today, the believing women in your midst are heirs of the promises of God. They too are the meek who will inherit the earth, as it says in Matthew 5 verse 5. They too are the righteous who will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. But do you see what this means for us men and women today? Husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, boyfriends, girlfriends, all of us as we relate to each other as men and women it means we should learn to look at each other through the lens of God's word. What do you see when you look at this woman? If you were her husband, what would you see? Husbands, let's bring this right up to date. What do you see when you look at your wife? And the answer, of course, depends on what lens that you are using. When What you see will be very different depending on whether you look through the lens of today's media and movies or the lens of the Word of God. If you look through the lens of God's Word, you will see a daughter of Abraham. And if we learn to see Christian women the way Jesus saw this woman in the synagogue, we will see them as heirs of the kings of glory. And we will, this will have a deep effect on our relationships. Of course, this cuts both ways as well. Women are just as likely to be disappointed with their husbands as men are to be disappointed with their wives. And both are equally prone to speak negatively of each other. But we need to look at each other as we are, sons and daughters of the promise. We need to learn to look at each other through the lens of God's word as daughters and sons of Abraham, heirs of God's promises, destined together for unspeakable glory. What also can we learn from this? The leaders here were so concentrated on observing the Sabbath that they were missing what God was trying to do right in front of them. What is God saying to us in these strange and difficult times? What is really important? What is really important? What have we been clinging to that he is just slowly taking off us so we can see what he is doing? Everything we've done before has been good. Programs, styles of worship, busy lives, various clubs that we would take our children to, busy lives that we would fill our lives with stuff. But what is preventing us from showing mercy to those around us 
or helping others grow in Christ. Now is a great time for us to reorder our priorities. Be asking God, what do you want me to be doing right now that will serve you best? What will further your kingdom? Maybe also you've been suffering like this woman. But if you're a Christian, you are a child of the promise. What does he promise? He promises an eternal hope. God doesn't promise us a perfect life without suffering. He promises us an approaching final deliverance for all who love the Lord. It says, Revelation 21 verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. <clears throat> Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. John, 1 John 5 says, In this age it is not the tears or mourning, or crying, or pain, or death that is strange. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What's strange is the defeat of evil. But you need to know that like this disabled woman, the patient, the purposeful, the powerful compassion of God in Christ for you is approaching like a relentless torrent. The day of your deliverance is decreed. It will come with a sudden joy. Every adversary will be shamed. Every tear will be wiped away. And we will consider these days, these present sufferings, not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Moving on to verse 18 to 21, and young Tom is going to read these next lot of verses for us. This part of the reading is from Luke 13, verses 18 to 21. Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it with? It is like this. A man takes a mustard seed and sows it in his field. The plant grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make their nests in its branches. Again, Jesus asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God with? It is like this. A woman takes some yeast and mixes it with 40 litres of flour, until the whole batch of dough rises. Okay, thanks Tom. As we see now this wonderful kingdom coming into action in the previous verses, Jesus asks, what is this kingdom like? Is it going to be coming in amazing military power or huge spiritual might? No, says Jesus. The kingdom is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. Or like yeast or leaven hidden in measures of flour. What is Jesus trying to teach us here? Let's first look at the seed. The, the mustard seed is small. It's something that starts off very little and ends up big. It's something that will grow and the kingdom is always growing. It's also surprising. In the Old Testament, a cedar tree was often the image described for the kingdom, the image that was used. But a mustard seed, it brings a twist in the story. A bit like the Samaritan helping the man in the earlier parable but it still comes, the seed, and gives comfort and shelter. What, what happens to a seed in the right type of soil? Something organic grows. On its own, soil could grow, possibly all sorts of things, maybe grass or, or weeds, but nothing impressive. But 
with a seed in the soil, it brings a new order of life. Something higher, a higher order of life comes. A tree is growing. And this is exactly what happens to us when we're born again. We are raised to a higher order. And to receive this kingdom, we need to receive a seed. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says, Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. 1 James 1.18 says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he created. Christianity is about more than just receiving forgiveness. It's about being born again. Being born again isn't just a type of Christianity. It's the only Christianity. I, I remember um, in my early years of being a Christian, I was still working um, as a lead roofer, working on building sites. And one day I was sheltering from the rain in a, in a house that was still being built. And I was talking to another builder and talking to him about what I believed. And he said, you're, you're one of those born agains. You're, you're born again. And I thought, well, yeah, I suppose I am. But it's the only type of Christian there is to be born again. Because if you've received something, you've got to receive something. It's not just a concept. If you haven't received anything, it's just a concept to you and it has no power. The kingdom, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, comes in power. If you haven't received this seed, you're not born again. You, you need to be raised to a higher order of life compared to what you had before. You're, you are merely existing before, but now there's growth. The seed is small. And this works in principle as in the personal and the general. In the kingdom, for the church, for the world, is, the kingdom is growing and it works in the personal in us as well. But gradually it grows and if you give it time, it will change everything. Put a seed against a big paving slab. Who's going to win? Who's going to crush the other? The slab. But plant the seed under the slab or under the concrete. It will eventually grow and grow and crack through the slab or the concrete. Think of the church. It started with a small band of followers in Jerusalem. It has grown to nearly every nation on the earth for, to, make, to make nests in its branches. How do we know we have the seed? Are we changing? Are we growing? Do we still have the same old stubborn, unforgiving ways? Do we still like to gossip like we used to? If we've received the power of this seed, we have the power to change. If Christianity is just a concept, we have no power. No, <clears throat> excuse me, no power to change. But the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were once dead. And now we're alive. If we see the things, we've, we see things that we've never seen before, but they've always been there. Heaven, hell, Christ's atonement, your own sin. Now there's a new order in your life and you can break the power of behaviour or addictions that you couldn't do before. Being a Christian is life changing. It incorporates everything. It changes everything. Because you are now what the Bible calls a partaker of the divine nature. You have the hidden secret power of the kingdom that is relentlessly growing. 
When you become a Christian, it doesn't mean everything will become great. It means, like the seed, you will be growing. And ideas and concepts about God aren't just ideas, but they are realities that thrill you more and more than ever before. You have an even more greater revelation of the wonder and goodness of God. You're, you're not controlled by your circumstances. You're not bitter. You are not in more fear. You are responding to who God is and that he has control of your life and you are willing to submit to him. Finally, we have the, the, the leaven or the yeast, as it is in some versions, being worked into the flour. What does it do? Well, it, it makes the bread rise. You can't see it once it's worked in, it's part of it, but it changes and alters its outcome. The, the leaven or the yeast is totally transforming. It's in and part of the flour and it influences everything. But if God is a concept to you, you shape it and how he affects your life and you fit him into your life. It fits into your existing patterns of life and it doesn't quake you, it doesn't move you. If you believe in God and it hasn't changed you very much, then he is just a concept. But we believe in God and we believe in his creation, we believe in heaven and hell and the cross and the resurrection and new life. If we don't believe in God in such a way that we let him in and rearrange our beliefs, he just fits in. People today say, you know, we can't believe in these things from the Bible because they're shaped by culture. They say it's regressive or out of date. People's beliefs come from a cultural moment. But what they're really saying is here and now is real. And when we come to the Bible, we, we say we can't believe in that because actually you don't have a real God. Because God is a concept and not a reality. But God is real and we can let him in and let him change and shape us and that as the yeast comes into the flower lets it rise and slowly grow yeast is moved into the flower and it's moved this way and that it isn't visible when it's worked in and it's the same with our own agendas the kingdom of god the rule of god the reign of god it goes with us everywhere whether you eat or drink you do it for the glory of god this should affect us in every area of our lives, not just what we do on a Sunday or in groups, etc. The kingdom is active, not fully visible to the world because it begins with an inner transformation of the heart. We can learn from the flour and the bread because it takes time to grow and rise. And we need to learn to be content. Be content with what's happening in our own lives, in the world and in the church not be looking for what we don't have be thankful for what we do have for the leaders we have for for the salvation that we've seen for the building that we have be thankful be content we need to be led corporately and personally by the spirit when you start to knead the dough it goes from one side and to the other pulled from pillar to post and the nature of the kingdom is that sometimes we appear to be going that way and then the other way. We have a compass and not a map. We know where true north is. And I think we need to learn to be flexible, being led by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 16, 6 to 10, 
Paul was stopped from going into Bithynia. It might have looked like the obvious thing to do, but Paul was obviously obedient. And sometimes leaders might make decisions, trying new things you're not sure about, but hey, let's get behind it. Sometimes things might work, sometimes they might not, but let's get behind, let's support, let's be flexible. The, the most popular song played at funerals today is Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. Hey, let's do it his way, being led by the Holy Spirit, not getting stuck in familiar patterns because we've always done it like this. Church growth, church movement brings change. Change in leadership brings style. Mustn't get stuck following people. Be flexible in discipleship. Take direction and correction well. We don't have a map, but we have a comfort, a compass. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. Let's be flexible like the dough. And obedience, authority, perseverance, submission, our kingdom words are not earthly words, but the kingdom one day will be complete when Christ returns. And that hope I mentioned earlier will come. Right now he's saying, Will you accept the seed? Because Jesus Christ came and paid the price for our sin and rebellion against God. He came so that you could be set free from the slavery of sin. Because you couldn't do it on your own. He came to give a life in the kingdom that is ever expanding. There's no way you could have access to God or eternal life except through Jesus dying on the cross for your sin. He came so that you could have the power in your life to slowly change, to be sanctified, and that as you grow and be visible to the world around you. He didn't come as a concept or as a life improvement scheme or as a blessing box. He came to invite you into his ever-expanding kingdom. And will you accept what he did on the cross for you? Will you receive this seed today? Will you accept his invitation? Will you learn to be flexible? Will you seek after your own heart and say, Lord, what are you looking to strip away from me right now so that I can learn to show compassion, so I can learn to help others grow in Christ, so I can learn to dedicate my life to other people's faith and holiness, to their growth in those areas? So can I ask you, if you're a Christian, where, where are you willing? What is God speaking you to, to you about today in this? And if you're not a Christian, are you willing and ready to accept that seed that wants to be planted in you so you can grow and change and accept what Christ did for you on the cross? And if you do, I'm just going to pray right now and you can just pray after me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on the cross, for my sin. I turn my back on all that I have done. For turn, turning my back on you, Lord, I, I ask for your forgiveness. Please now come into my life by your Holy Spirit and help me follow you. Amen. Amen. Now. If you've prayed that prayer, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at ian 
at hopechurch7oaks.org and I would love to hear from you and speak to you about that. And church, if you're watching this live, I'd love to see you uh, in the Zoom meeting afterwards and look forward to seeing you at the prayer meeting on Tuesday where we'll see Jeremy and Laura too. Thanks everyone and see you soon.